0: Father, as we come to your word now, we ask uh, that you would teach us. You have promised to teach us. You have promised that you don't just leave us alone to kind of wrestle it out on our own, uh, but that you actually uh, cause your word, cause the scriptures to come alive. Uh, You grant us to be able to um, uh, understand what it is that you're trying to teach us. And so we ask that you would do that. Uh, Please take all error and confusion and put it to the side. And grant us to see Jesus very, very clearly. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Uh, It would be great if you would keep the service sheets open to page 9. We are looking at this story of Jesus on a trip with his disciples uh, from one side of the sea to the other and back. And um, one of the things, if, if you've been around Emanuel for a little bit, you know that uh, we have just kind of crafted a vision statement, and uh, the vision statement goes like this. Emmanuel Anglican Church exists to see, describe, and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of New York City. And part of the reason we crafted that statement in that way is that it captures uh, something that is very, very foundational to following Jesus. And here it is. Authentic Jesus following always grows, there's a lot of ways of describing this, but always grows out of seeing Jesus vividly so that he becomes the most compelling person in your life, so that he becomes the orienting center of your life, which is important to point out because it means that a Jesus follower is not simply somebody who says, wow, Jesus is a fantastic historical figure, um, really interesting to study. He is that, but a Jesus follower says he's more than that. A Jesus follower says he's more than my moral coach, he's not just a kind of guru or something like that, he's more than that. A Jesus follower is somebody who can say, "Uh, Jesus has become vividly real to me in such a way that he becomes the person I trust more than anyone else and he's the orienting center of my life. Now why am I saying all that? I'm saying that because this story in the Gospel is A story of how Jesus takes his disciples on a trip from one side of the lake to the other and back again. And his aim is to train his disciples so that they see him immensely beautiful and compelling so that they say that he is the orienting center of their life. Now, here's, here's what I mean. So, like I said, Jesus takes his disciples on a trip here. Um, uh, the, it's a really quick trip. He goes from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other and back. But it's an eventful trip, right? They uh, encounter this massive big storm. They encounter two people who are, uh, you know, possessed by demons. Um, it's kind of a swashbuckling story, right? Complete with, you know, swashbuckling ghost story. It doesn't get better than that, right? But the whole point of the trip is that Jesus leads his disciples into these riveting and frightening experiences in order that, coming out of the stories, they can see that Jesus is more powerful than they ever imagined and more merciful than they ever dreamed. It's a training exercise. And so that they can say, yes, absolutely, Jesus is the most compelling person I know. Now, our task today is to go with them on this journey... And to learn what it is that Jesus was teaching the disciples. And here's what we're going to find out. We will see Jesus's compelling beauty most clearly when we feel our extreme need and see Jesus's rescue. Or I could put it differently. You will never fully see just how compelling Jesus is until you first experience your extreme vulnerability. But when you experience your extreme vulnerability, that is when Jesus can show you how profound he is, and that's the beginning of your transformation. That's what we need to explore. Okay, let's go into more detail. Um, Set the scene just for a little bit. Uh, We've been traveling through the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Jesus has just finished preaching the Sermon on the Mount, and then he heals a bunch of people in chapter 8, and Jesus' uh, uh, reputation is just sky-high at this point. The crowds love him. Everybody loves him. That won't last, but right now, everybody loves him. However, when Jesus is, uh, when he sees all the crowds, just before our reading here, Jesus sees the crowds and he says, All right, I'm, I'm going to take my a few of my disciples, and we're going to go on a trip. We're going to get away from the, the crowds... They board the boat, and they head off across the Sea of Galilee, which is really just a big lake. Now, Jesus is not a sailor, uh, but a bunch of his disciples are, so he does a very, very smart thing. He says, you know, Peter, John, James, Andrew, you guys look after the thing you know how to do, sail the ship. I'm taking a nap. So he does. But when Jesus falls asleep is when it all gets fun. Because, verse 24, look at it. And behold, which is the Bible's way of saying, watch this, there arose a great storm upon the sea. Now, fun little fact, that word storm usually is the word that means earthquake. It's seismos. There was a seismic, big, tsunami-type event that occurs. Now, it's probably a storm, but nonetheless, it's meant to be this vivid language that makes us go, oh my goodness, this is not just a regular storm. And then, back to the text, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, and all the while, Jesus is sleeping. It's fantastic. So, think about this this situation for a minute. The disciples, they know what they're doing, right? They're professionals. At least a bunch of them are. They're sailors. This is their area of expertise, which means that when things get out of control, they know that things are getting out of control. They know what normal storms look like and how to deal with it, but they also know what a seismic, really scary, big kind of uh, uh, storm looks like, and they know that, generally speaking, when it's humans against big, crazy storms on the sea, the storm generally wins. And so they know their expertise know it shows them just how vulnerable they are. All the while they look over and their lovely little rabbi is asleep. And there's a little bit of a sense to which you can imagine them saying, Jesus, oh, Jesus, you're a lovely preacher. You really are. Um, love your sermons. This is our area of expertise, We know that we are in a very bad situation, so get up and bale some water. Save us, because otherwise we're all going down. Now, pause. Let me ask you a question. In that moment, in the middle of the storm, what is the most compelling reality in the disciples' life at that point? It's obvious, right? It's the storm. Now, Look back at the text and watch how that changes in an instant. Look at it. So Jesus wakes up and he says to them, okay, the storm's still going, why are you afraid, O oh, you of little faith? And then he rose and rebuked the winds in the sea and there was a great calm. And you better believe it, the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds in the sea obey him? Now, catch the pattern there do you see it they are captivated by the storm they feel their imminent mortal peril and that's the moment that jesus acts and when jesus acts everything that at the, it originally captivated them about the storm that was threatening them, everything that captivated them about the storm now transfers to Jesus who just stilled the storm and they marvel at him. That word marvel is, the way I describe that, is they see the compelling beauty of Jesus Christ in that moment. See, the thing that you've got to understand is that they see the compelling beauty of Jesus Christ not when they're feeling safe and they watch him heal all kinds of other people. They see the compelling beauty of Jesus Christ and they marvel at him when they see him from the vantage point of their great vulnerability and their mortal peril. Now, keep that in mind, and let me add another layer. Um, Because the the, the disciples, they know about sailing, right? Right? However, they also know about their Bible. They all grew up in synagogue. And in Hebrew literature, if you read through uh, the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, very often the sea almost takes, it, it's almost a character in some of the literature. And it's, the sea is very often an image of evil or of rebellion against God, and in particular of a kind of chaos that only God has the capacity to calm. So one example of that showed up in our psalm. Did you catch it? Psalm uh, 89, verse 9, it says this. You, speaking to God, you rule the raging of the sea, and when its waves rise, you still them. A little bit later in the psalm, it talks about the Messiah. And it says, you, you place the Messiah's hand on the raging waters. Now, keep that in mind and go back to the story, because when Jesus fills the sea, it's not a magic trick. It's a message. It's a message. Jesus is looking at his disciples, and he's saying, I am the God of the Old Testament. I am the Messiah that the Old Testament anticipated. You're looking at him. Who did you think he was in the boat with you just a few minutes ago? Now, Obviously, Jesus could have told them that, right? Jesus could have said, hey, check it out. Did you know this? I'm, you know, God and Messiah and so forth. But consider the impact on the disciples. That Jesus purposefully leads them into their peril and, and it allows them to experience their peril right at their point of expertise. And then in that moment demonstrates that all that they had heard about the scriptures, all growing up, all that they had heard of God's promises hold true, and all of a sudden they realize in a very profound way that Jesus Christ himself is the fulfillment of all of those promises. Now, let's talk about us for a second. Some of us here have grown up in church. Some of us here here have heard the stories of the Bible all our lives. We know the promises of the Scripture, and yet, and just see if you can identify with this, For some of us, we know the the promises of Scripture, and maybe even we give uh, intellectual assent to them, but when it comes to our everyday lives, when we are faced with things that frighten us, it doesn't feel like we can really trust God on a day-to-day basis. It feels like the stories of the Bible are distant from where we stand now. Can you identify with that? Friends, That's exactly where the disciples were in this moment. They had heard the stories of scriptures all their lives. They had sat in synagogue like you're sitting in church right now. And when they were on the boat, and when the the waves were pitching them back and forth, in that moment they panicked, partially because they did not believe that they could really ultimately trust God. In fact, the word for fear, when Jesus says, why are you afraid? That word for fear isn't the normal word for fear. It's the word that later... Christian literature would use for the particular kind of fear that makes us give up on God. In that moment, when the disciples were in the boat bailing water, it felt like God's promises were theoretical at best, but the reality was the opposite. The reality is that their very experience of peril was itself a training exercise where Jesus was teaching them how to see his beauty and his glory and his goodness and his faithfulness and that all the promises of Scripture are true. And that leads me to ask a question. How do you interpret your experience of vulnerability in your life? When you experience vulnerability, when you experience feeling look it looks like life's not working out and everything's scary how do you interpret that do you interpret it to mean that god cannot be trusted do you interpret it as empirical evidence look it's not it's not holding true or or can you look at jesus and can you look at jesus and say jesus christ I don't know how you are going to sort out this thing in my life, but I do know that you hold me, that you have promised to hold me, and you have promised to show yourself f- faithful, and I know that you will show yourself faithful so that one day, so that one day, I'll be able to tell this story and say the real theme of this story is the Lord has shown himself good. Now, that's where Jesus wants to take his disciples. How do we get there? How do you and I get there? How do we have that level of confidence? Well, the second story gives us some help. Take a look at the second story. So, Jesus calms the storm. The calming of the storm is a one-time miracle, right? Jesus doesn't promise to do that every day. However, the second miracle in our story is one that Jesus promises to... uh, to repeat in all of our lives. Take a look at it. Verse 28, um, the disciples and Jesus, they land on the far shore. And when they land on the far shore, they're faced with a scene that's kind of as uh, frightening as you can be. Like It's a scene that means that uh, any kind of nice religious person of the day would want to run the other direction. So they get to the other side of the lake, they're in Gentile territory, they're in pagan land, Um, they're next to tombs, which religiously you wanted to stay away from, and then two really violent demon-possessed guys come out and start yelling at them, okay? Not comfortable. Not comfortable for anybody. There's nothing kosher here, okay? Now put yourself in the disciples' minds in that moment. What is it that captivates you about this scene? The obvious thing that captivates you in this scene is the big scary guys that are yelling at you, right? But then watch how the same thing happens. The focus shifts away from these demon-possessed men that are threatening to assault them. The, shif- the, the focus shifts from them to Jesus Christ. And it all begins to shift when the demons, this is odd start talking. Do you notice this? The demons speak, and they're the very first ones that say, Jesus, you're the Son of God. Now, let me just pause here. A lot of us kind of struggle with the idea of demons, with the idea of the devil, all of those sorts of things. But just consider the fact that the Bible takes evil very, very, very seriously. And the Bible doesn't, doesn't deny the reality of kind of uh, psychological and uh, physical illness. But the Bible also says that there is a deep and profound personal evil that captivates us. And this story is, describes that dynamic in, ex, in the extreme. And so these two men are just captivated by evil one way or the other. And when they see Jesus, they come violently towards him and then stop and then speak to him and say, I know who you are. You're the son of God. And in this strange moment, the disciples are clearly frightened of the demon-possessed men, but the demon-possessed men are frightened of Jesus. And that's the first clue of what's about ready to happen in this story. Because these men, they're slaves. Somehow they're slaves to evil. They cannot free themselves. No one else around them can free them. They are ex- they're pictures of extreme moral and spiritual peril. And right when the disciples run around, want to run the other direction, Jesus steps toward them. And it appears, friends, that Jesus, the whole point, Jesus sailed through the storm to teach the disciples but also to reach these men He left all the crowds that were so excited about him and that were giving him all kinds of praise so he could go across to two men that nobody wanted to be anywhere near. And he walked towards them so that he could free these two men who were violent and pagan and mentally unwell and rejected by everybody around them. And he reached out to them and purposefully took his disciples on the journey so that the disciples could watch and see the miracle that Jesus offers to do in every single person who will say yes to him. Because Jesus reaches into these two men's lives. He reaches into their darkness, and with just a word, he breaks their chains, he sets them free. And Jesus wanted the disciples to see this miracle because this is the miracle that he promises to repeat in everyone who will receive it. Now, this is crucially important for us, friends, because if you want to get to a place where you have a high confidence and assurance in Jesus Christ, then you need to witness Jesus' miraculous power. You will never... You will unli- it is unlikely that you will ever see Jesus calm a hurricane. I mean, you might, but unlikely. And he never promises it. However, Jesus does promise... To set you free from evil which holds you fast down in the depths of who you are. Even if it's not obvious like it is for these two. Watch how it happens. Look back at the story. Because Jesus liberates these two men in a way that points to his cross. Do you notice? Jesus transfers the evil that captivates these men, the demons, from the men to the pigs... And then the pigs run down into the sea and they die in the sea. Remember what the sea represents. All through Hebrew literature, it represents death and rebellion against God. And friends, all of this is an image of the cross because on the cross, God transferred all the evil and the sin and the guilt that captivates us, transferred it from us to Jesus Christ so that Jesus, when he was on the cross, became more unclean than pigs could ever be. And under the weight of that sin and that guilt and that evil, Jesus, just like these pigs, he died under the weight of it. He was drowned in that sea. But of course, he came back. He rose from the dead three days later. And he rose with the power to liberate every one of us from the darkness and the shame and the guilt and the sin that enslaves us. And I labor this because until we vividly understand that miracle to be happening in me. Until that happens, I will never have a high confidence in Jesus for the rest of my life, for the other aspects of my life. Do you know this miracle in you? And you say, Jim, come on, man, I'm not a, I'm not a demoniac. Like, I'm not possessed by the devil. To which I respond, well... If Jesus can liberate these men, surely he can liberate you. And the great danger is that we would be so proud and so comfortable with where we are that we would say, Jesus, I'm not one of the people that really needs you. Because if you make that decision, you will never experience the confidence that a disciple is meant to know in all the other areas of your life. Friends, I said at the beginning that right at the heart of the Christian faith is seeing Jesus Christ to be the most comp- compelling and beautiful person anywhere in this universe. And he must become the orientating center of our lives. And until that's in place, none of the rest of following Jesus really makes sense or works. And in order to get us to that place, Jesus will bring us regularly to a place where we experience our urgent need for him. He regularly, friends, has he done this in your life? Do you recognize it? He regularly shows us our peril. And very often he'll show us our peril in the particular area where we tend to feel strong. And when he does that, it's not that he's being cruel. He's being kind. But be careful because the great danger is that we would in our comfort and in our self-reliance and our self-confidence, we would say, Jesus, I don't really need you. Because that's what happens to the villagers. The villagers at the end, did you notice? They hear about what Jesus did to these men, and their response is they come to him and they say, get out of here, we don't want anything to do with you, we don't need you, go, go, get back in the boat. And it's a warning to us. Because it means that it is possible to see Jesus's power and to see his mercy and then conclude, it must be for somebody else, but it's not really for me. And you will, you are in greatest danger to make that conclusion when you feel in control of your life. So let me ask you a question. Do you feel vulnerable? Some of us will feel vulnerable morally and spiritually. So you'll feel a little bit like these men. You're probably not to the extreme, but a little bit. And you don't want anybody to know about what's happening in your life. You don't want anybody to know about your secrets and all of those sorts of things. Friends, if that's where you're at, interpret that experience and that experience of vulnerability. And right now feeling like I don't want anybody to know that I'm in that category. Interpret that experience as Jesus Christ personally saying, Let me set you free. Others of us feel vulnerable differently. Others of us feel vulnerable because life just around us is stressing us out. And things are happening that are bigger than we can bear. And it's tempting to conclude that Jesus can't be trusted after all. And if that's where you're at, interpret that experience of vulnerability as Jesus saying, I am teaching you how to trust in me. Trust in me now, even before you see the final resolution. Jesus, did you notice in the storm, Jesus rebukes the disciples before he calms the storm. He says, you have a little bit of faith, and the little faith is evidenced by your panic. And Jesus says... In so many words, the implication is that Jesus wants us to trust in him even before we see the resolution. And the only way to do that is to be able to look at the cross and say, Jesus Christ, if you died for my eternal salvation, then I can trust you for this temporary pain that I'm going through now. Horrible as it is. So friends, welcome the experience of vulnerability. Don't run, away, don't run away from it, because that's where Jesus will show you his beauty, and that will be, be the beginning of your transformation. Amen? Amen. Let's pray a minute. Father, most of us spend most of our lives running away from the experience of vulnerability. Most of us will do almost anything we can to not be afraid. Father, will you, by your Holy Spirit, orchestrate our lives so that we can't get away from relying on Jesus? Do whatever it takes to undermine. Our self confidence that makes us run away from where real confidence is to be found. Be severe in your mercy that we may know the beauty of Jesus Christ for ourselves, that we may taste the truths of Scripture like honey, and that we may live with assurance, that blessed assurance that allows us to walk through this life knowing that Jesus Christ will be shown faithful in my story. Amen.